This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. Welcome to Long Shadows, Episode 2. How's it going, Ralph? Uh, I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, it's, uh, it's a bright, chilly Saturday morning as we record this, and uh, in general, I'm doing okay. It's a gray, rainy <laughs> Saturday afternoon here, and uh, after a week of absolute horror grind, um, because uh, the, the the term papers were due, and uh, I had to like make a lot of grades for school, and like I worked for sixteen hours for like two weeks straight every day on doing grading of papers and shit, and it was just excruciating. Um, but the only like really positive thing, aside from my cat and uh, good food, was this thing we're going to talk about today. And uh, yeah, breaking our promise already, like uh, Long Shadows being a format for the Patreon, but here we go. Yeah, it's definitely, um, this is like an event in some ways, because uh, it, we were yeah. both kind of taken by surprise by this show on Netflix. And uh, once yes. again, I have to give credit to, uh, to Rennie from Starkweather. He he randomly emailed me. I mean, Rennie and I communicate regularly, and uh, this email came into my inbox about this show called Archive Eighty One, which was about to go up on Netflix, and it was based on a podcast. And um, he was like interested. He's like, "Oh, this is intriguing. So let's check it out." So then I checked it out, and um, I I you know I thought it was great, and once again like surprised by things pleasantly this in this case and um i thought that it would be applicable for this show because it delves into the weird fiction subgenre which this show is going to be dedicated to yeah it has weird fiction written all over it it isn't even like the hashtag cosmic horror would be like really appropriate for this one I, I haven't really been paying attention to the promotion of this show, but have they have they tagged it as a weird fiction, cosmic horror kind of thing? No, none at all, man. And it's <laughs> the, the 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 weird thing is, I mean, we talked about it briefly before we started recording this. Here is, um, it's been so widely praised, like by fans. It's the number one show on Netflix right now, um, right up there with all the Harry Potter movies that are like in the top top ten now, and. Uh, the third season of Afterlife, which I still have to watch. Um, but I was surprised because for me, it completely came out of nowhere. Usually, like, I see trailers on Dread Central or Bloody Disgusting or something like this. and Or, like, I hear you guys talk about it on Necro or something. But this one, you, you texted, you actually wrote me and was like, dude, have you heard of Archive 81? Because it delves, like, it has an iconic like thing going on, which we will discuss in another episode of um, Weird Shadow, uh, Weird Shadows, yeah, uh, Long Shadows. And I'm like, I have not heard of that. And then I just, like, without watching a trailer or anything, I just delved into it, blasted through it, because it was like 110% up my alley. 
Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the funny thing about it, too, is, um, you know, I, I kind of I don't I'm not going to say that I live in a vacuum, but I don't go on to social media that often. And uh, no. I don't really pay attention to, like, what's trending or anything like that. So in my mind, Archive 81 was this kind of obscure, like, niche kind of thing. And we were going to, like, lay it on people and be like, yeah, check it out. Like, we're into this new thing you guys need to know about, you know. But then I realized I started, when I started doing some research on the show, it's the, it's the biggest show on Netflix. And I was totally surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can understand it because it just it's so atmospheric and it brings a different kind of horror to the game than what is popular right now. Um, I actually mentioned it in school to my 10th grade kids in philosophy and they're all over horror, but they're like, oh, yeah, Hostel is my favorite one or oh, I like the Conjuring movies. And I'm like, yeah, all right, all right, all right. It's like, yeah, you need to check this out. And some kids were like, this was amazing. Well, I'm like, OK, cool. So do I suggest reading Lovecraft right here, right now? Or is it like something I have to like wait for? But um, I mean, it's cool. It's, it's a great show. And I'm always happy if great shows get great praise. For example, Mayor of Kingstown, one of the shows that completely blew me away, is completely under the radar. I don't think a lot of people know about this. But this one here, now everybody's talking about it. You know, I have to mention that I checked out um, an episode of Mayor of uh, East Town and the first episode, and it's it's excellent. But it made me yeah. so fucking sad at the end of the first <laughs> episode. I was yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here watching it, and I, any I'm not, I'm going to spoil whatever the first episode for anyone who hasn't seen these things. But like the young girl, man, the one, the one, who, oh. I'm like, don't, don't, don't go, don't go out into the night. You know, it's a yeah. show riding on her bike and she's super young and she's a fucking teenage like mother and the father of the baby is like such a fucking prick that I just wanted to fucking break his jaw from the minute I saw him, man. And then her, <laughs> his girlfriend, I wanted to strangle her and then like, I'm like, don't go, don't go, stay home, it's safe. And then, of course, I'm like, I knew that she was going to get fucking murdered, man, and it sucked. And I was so fucking sad and angry at the end of that episode. Dude, and now <laughs> I, I kind of expected this to be coming because you're talking about a different show than I am. Really? <laughs> yes. And uh, Wait, what I, the hell I are know... you talking about? I'm, I'm talking about the one that's got uh, uh, that, that yeah, actress yeah, yeah. in it. Uh, yeah, it's it's with uh, here, uh, the Titanic girl, um, Kate Kate Winslet. Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. That's that's Mayor of East Town. Yeah, that's okay. Awesome. Yeah, that's oh. a fucking amazing show. No doubt about this. That was uh, I watched this last year, and it's it's exactly what you described. And everybody out there, if you haven't seen it, watch it. But I'm talking about Mayor of Kingstown. Oh and shit! And that's the fuck. Yeah, dude, and that's the, the funny thing because the two shows came out in like I don't know, like was maybe like four months apart, and it's completely something different. But at first, I was like, "What the fuck is this? Like a second season with a different name or something?" And I mean, the one is spelled like Mayor, like Nightmare, and that's yeah. the name of the protagonist. But the other one is like Mayor oh, and shit. the Mayor of Kingston, dude. Yeah, and once you, oh, but that's cool, man. Like if you watch Mayor of East Town now. 
finish this, you will love it. And then you go to Mayor of Kingstown, you will love that too. Because that's the one with Jeremy Renner I told you about. Oh, man. All right. Yeah, one night. You know what it is? At night, sometimes when I come back from the gym, I'm like exhausted mentally and I make mistakes like this like in the, in the evening. Yeah. But I don't dude, know. If... Shows are, yeah, it's it's crazy that they would put out like two shows with almost a familiar name in a way that sounds. The funny thing about it, I was waiting for Jeremy Renner to show up in this East Town, <laughs> and I was completely confused. And I was like, "Well, maybe he's yeah. in the second episode." I don't know if that's yeah. a good show to, for me to watch, honestly. Like uh, the mayor of East Town, because like I, for hours after that, I watched the first episode, I was having these dark fantasies of like drilling that yep. kid with body shots you know what i mean and kneeing him in the solar plexus and beating the shit Dude, out of that guy you know yeah fair enough the whole show is like this like up until the end is one of the most depressing things i've seen in a while <laughs> i need to avoid those kinds of feelings right now honestly yeah but uh but then, yeah then 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 spare it for another time <laughs> and start watching mayor of kingstown which will be up your alley too but it's completely different and um yeah, you will you will love that one. Okay, all right, that sounds better. <laughs> yeah. You know, all right. right on, man. So on to uh, Archive eighty one, which came as a surprise. It seems to have been taking everyone by storm. People seem to be really excited about it. I read something. I read one article about this thing, and I thought how embarrassing it would be to have written that article and have a guy like me or you read it and realize that the person who wrote it has absolutely no idea about horror or like even literature or anything like that because they claim that oh i've never seen anything like this before what a what a you know very unique idea which is is true for the most part but the movie is the show the show is filled with tropes that appear in weird fiction and, you know, Lovecraftian fiction and Thomas Ligotti and all these things. And no one made any references to that, which I found to be very unusual. Yeah, because not a lot of people know about stuff like this. Yeah. I mean, like the some people that I know that have love, uh, read Lovecraft, they said, like, it has a Lovecraftian feel to it. And they, they found, like, tropes of, of, like, things that are typical there. To me, as a nerd with um like watching a lot of horror reading a lot of like these these weird fiction and horror stories but also uh i i'm not a gamer per se but like now and then i buy a playstation 4 i play two games and then i sell it again because i like if i have some time on my hands which is rarely the case i like to play like horror games on a playstation and they're always um these so-called survival horror things where you have to like you stumble through an, like an abandoned mansion and there's something weird going on you have to solve riddles and then it opens up a pathway and then you find something out you have to go back to the beginning do another path and kind of this show kind of feels the same like there's always every episode unveils something and then they go back especially they did it in the two buildings i mean we will attack the uh the story itself, I guess, but it, it reminded me of games like The Evil Within and Silent Hill. Especially, there is a game that I had an iPad once, and there was a game called The Room, which is only like it's it's pretty much a design of a room, and there is a riddle in the middle. Like for example, like an old pirate ship, and you have to like zoom in and 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 touch things, and then it goes up. 
but it has like it is actually like a weird fiction kind of horror story which is only told by like getting rid of these riddles you do and the story and atmosphere of the room totally reminded me of the atmosphere of this show so yeah i'm like i said it's it's not i'm not a gamer but like maybe people out there know the room and know what to talk about yeah i i don't consider i'm definitely not a gamer because i i did try out like i have a steam account so i tried out um call of cthulhu and i realized mm. that this is like a way for me to just destroy hours of my time man because i yeah call of cthulhu is great i had so much fun playing it but it was just like dude i i don't have this kind of time man you know what i'm trying to say and um but yeah, yeah. I, can, I can see that aspect of this show having a game gaming sort of vibe to it as well yeah yeah, especially like when we go into the story, like uh, with the two buildings and, you know, like that they find new rooms and hidden rooms and hidden things. And like once they have something, they can go back to a place they've been before and open something up and it develops the story further. And that's like a typical trope of these video games. But also, it's also typical for like these uh lovecraftian stories where you find like icons or like remnants of something and they like interpret it and that helps them to open up another thing and they the story progresses through this exactly so let, let's uh let's run down just some of the um particulars before we get into talking about the show itself and its narrative yes uh so okay i, I mentioned that it was based on a podcast it's not a straight up adapta adaptation of the podcast it's um it's sort of inspired by it i guess the um the two guys that developed the podcast are daniel powell and mark solinger okay and then rebecca sonenshine developed their podcast into this show and there's three seasons of the podcast so far and um i i actually checked out um one episode uh, just because I figured I love the show so much. Let's check out the source material. And um, yeah, the pod has uh, like a found footage, quote unquote, audio vibe to it. Uh, but it deals with uh, a character, Dan, who is an audio archivist. And in the, in the show, he's a video archivist. So there's a little bit of a difference there. And um, it's pretty good, except the main difference between the podcast and the show is that I got uh, X-Files vibes from the podcast, being these, these two guys investigating strange supernatural occurrences and um, using like actual footage, you know, quote unquote, actual footage to tell the story. And the, um, the show itself takes a bit of a license, which is great because I don't want to just see an adaptation of, um, of a, another sort of medium. And um, yeah, I don't know, it's quite interesting. I'd never actually seen anything like this in that way being that a show developed from an audio format i thought that was kind of interesting that is um there's something that is really popular here in germany and i've never known if people in america dig this we um i mean we, we all know audiobooks so one person reads the text and you listen to it sometimes they add some sounds and layers to it in germany when you grow up something that's really popular is called Hörspiele, which translates to uh, audio plays. 
So it's kind of like a TV show without the actual show, but just listening to it. So you have got several people talking, you've got sound effects, you've got a narrator. And um, there's like a bunch of shows like The Three Investigators, which is a format from the States, which was a book. And I think they also did like these kind of audio plays. Um, and they're really popular here. I'm a sucker for this. And there's like a bunch of them that are super, super good. And I wish they would be made into a show. And this is kind of has that vibe because before that I knew audiobooks and I knew podcasts, but I haven't heard a podcast in the way that Archive 81 is done. So it's actually like a story being told and it's not some people nerding out about all the revelation records from front to back or something. Yeah, I, I actually enjoy that format. I haven't really investigated a whole lot of those, but you know what comes to mind immediately is way back in the in the the dim aeons before all of these podcasts and stuff became very popular, like going back maybe fifteen years ago. I would go on tour and um, we'd stop at these various truck stops throughout the country, you know, like the Loves truck stops and you know all those kinds of places. And uh, like, the, and I'm talking about like the the highway, you know, where where the truckers run their big rigs across the country, and they stop in at these places. So those these rest stops are geared to these long distance drivers and who have to kill hours of time by themselves. And there was a series of these DV, uh, not DVDs, um, CDs. Like you can buy like a CD that has like, you know, two or three discs in it and it tells a story. And I, I have a couple of those and no one, no one in the van when we were traveling wanted, wanted to hear these things, but they were like this kind of post-apocalyptic, um, you know, sci-fi kind of stories, but I have them actually. And I listen to them and they're actually pretty cool. And then I just think it's interesting that in this modern age that we're going back to this like old school format of telling stories and people actually enjoy it. Yes, that's the one of the positive aspects I saw in Archive 81, too, and also with that podcast. I just listened to the first two episodes so far after Brandon. Shout out to Brandon Legion. Uh, he mentioned that there's this podcast, and I wanted to hear it, uh, wanted to listen to it, but I decided to watch the show a second time, so I blasted through the show two times. Um, but I will, and yeah, man, this is exactly what I talk about, like uh, what I've been talking about, this... Um, these, these formats where you have like a story told with different like narrators and voices and these audio plays that we have here, like there's one called John Sinclair, which is about a de like a, um, a ghost, kind of like a ghostbuster, but like in a real horror sense. So he has like a, a cross and he fights demons and he has like a, a gun with silver bullets. It's kind of like pulp, but also like a bit gruesome sometimes. And there have been a bunch of those, and there's one called Gabriel Burns, which to me is one of the best things I've ever heard. And dude, I remember when you stayed at my place in Heidelberg, when you were on that ill-fated Anodyne tour, I had all these tapes there, and I tried to explain to you what it is that I, like, I collect these tapes. And to this day, I wish they would do it in English so you could listen to it, because it has all the tropes of this, of Archive 81, of all the stuff we love with X-Files and cosmic horror. And they just like after 48 episodes, so always an hour, so 48 hours of my life, 
invested in this, they just stopped producing them because of a fight between producers and the studios. And I'm like in touch with some of the nerd fans like me that wanted to like revive it in a way, but it will probably never happen. But yeah, everybody out there in Germany, listen to Gabriel Burns if you can. That sounds interesting, man. I remember, I remember you telling me about that years ago. And um, did they ever wrap the story up or the story just kind of ended? Yeah, that's the thing. Like they had a fight and they they had like 30, 34 episodes. Then the fight happened between the studio and the production team. Um, then there were just like two books they did, like kind of audio books with just one voice telling the story a bit further. But then a bunch of years later, they came to an agreement, did like 10 more episodes or something, and then they had the complete fallout, and then the story just ended. Just like at a point where you thought like, okay, maybe in two or three episodes, we're done with the story, so it's never finished. And that's so fucking unsatisfying and drives me crazy. Wow. Yeah, that, I hate when that happens. They did that with Hannibal too, man. Like Hannibal, the TV yes. show, yeah. three episode, three seasons, and then nothing and they didn't even wrap the fucking story up and now it's like i every now and then i hear about how they might revive it and i don't know man it's like everyone's gonna be like 15 years older by the time they do it and not you know they're not like that's a problem but like it's gonna break up the continuity of, this, of the appearance of the show yeah. you know i mean they did it they tried it with dexter and you blood and i'm like okay this is cool i liked it in the beginning and then okay so they want to make up for the shitty ending of the last season and then just end it with a shitty ending again and you're like how dumb can you be it would have been so easy but yeah like so maybe just like let let sleeping dogs lie you know yeah i i have to say man they they went out hard on the on dexter man you know what I mean? <laughs> like that last episode was that was a hard ending man i have to i have to give them props for that you know I mean, the the general idea of how it ended is totally fine by me, but it's so rushed in the end, like mm -hmm. in the last episode, and then they could have done it with a bit more, like, it's kind of like the last Game of Thrones season where you just feel like, okay, guys, we need to wrap it up, you know, it's time, you have, like, just eight episodes, wrap it up now, and with this was like, okay, here's the story, that's cool, oh, you, we only have one episode left, so yeah, let's finish it uh, like this, and... I, I, I don't have, like I that. Got, I have one technical thing to comment on with the Dexter show, though, the, uh, the, the final, whatever the hell they call it, the last season. His son, I, I didn't like his son, man. I was hoping that he was going to get killed or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was terrible. And yeah. I really hope they don't have any ideas to pursue, like, a, you know, like an offspring kind of show where they're, like, passing the torch like they tried with Die Hard and all these movies. So please, no, no, no show with this kid as the main protagonist. Also, uh, obviously, the person who wrote this has never wrestled before because there's a, uh, a segment where he's on the wrestling team and the, um, they, they just don't know what the point of wrestling is. It's pinning somebody. There's no submissions in, uh, in wrestling. You know what I'm saying? So he gets yeah. this kid in this uh, Kimura and um, right away, the referee would have would have jumped in because that's an illegal hold in wrestling and uh, breaks the guy's arm. You know what I mean? So it's like they should have had him like training jujitsu or something where you actually have submissions. There's no submissions in in wrestling in high school. Oh man, 
Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of logistical mistakes in there, and, and that's the cool thing about Archive eighty one. It's yeah. like a bunch of people. They were from what I heard. It's like, oh yeah, the first episodes are great, but then it doesn't make sense anymore. It's like, dude, it's it's a weird fiction horror show. What kind of sense do you expect? Do you expect like some solution in the end or something? Um, and what I loved about Archive 81 was that it's so textured and so multi-layered with the characters and you find out how they all relate to each other. And this is just, it's so intriguing. And they did it in such a classy way that when it was finished and it was clear there will be another season. And from the showrunner, I just read an interview. It's like they actually plan on several seasons focusing on several parts of the story and I, for the first time in ages, I don't feel bad about it. I feel like, yes, I'm intrigued to see more and, like, go into, like, characters like Davenport is supposed to get, like, a background story and Julia. And, and it's like, yeah, I'm right on. I'm down with that. So to me, that was the fun of the whole show, that there's so many layers and they're interconnected and they did it in such a classy way. So let's just run down the cast since we're talking about the characters, like well, the main characters yes. that are in this thing. Yes. So we got the um, Dan Turner, who is the protagonist in this uh, this whole thing. And that's I'm going to probably destroy his name. It's uh, Mamadou Athi. And if um, anyone out there wants to correct me on that, uh, hit me with a dead wrong on that. Uh, we have uh, Dinah Shahabi as Melody. Evan Johnny Kite as Samuel. It sounds like uh, one of your countrymen there. Um, Johnny Kite? Well, not, not, not so much, but the producer, like, she's called Sunshine. Like, Sonnenschein is the German word for, sun, for sunshine. Son, Sonic Kite is not a German name? Uh, no, Jonik. It would be Jonik Kite. Okay. Jonik Kite. But I, it's it sounds rather I don't know like up north in a way like okay. Denmark Sweden or something could be I, I'll I yeah. you know I'm obviously I don't know what the hell I'm talking about when it comes to these things but <laughs> uh, Julia Chan as Annabelle Aria in, and introducing Ariana Neal as Jess the uh, the young girl in the in the show yes great uh, great, great girl she she acted. Incredible actress, I think. Yes, you know? yes. Uh, Matt McRory as Mark. That's uh, Dan's buddy. And Martin Donovan, um, Martin Donovan, who has been in many, many films, as uh, Virgil yeah. Davenport, the uh, CEO of the Nefarious LMG Corporation. Yes. Dude, at first, like when, when, he, when, when you see him the first time in his, in his sparse office, I always thought, like, is this the guy that played Randall Flagg in the, the Stand movies, like in the in the nineties? And I was like, oh, he looks so familiar. But I looked it up, and it's not him. But yeah, man, I've seen Martin Donovan in a bunch of movies, and he's a great actor. And this, especially in this role, he's perfect. Yeah, his career spans decades, and he uh, he approaches this role uh, with a lot of subtlety, and uh, he's very understated. And I think that it just adds to the the, the sort of complicated nature of his part of this narrative you know what i mean he's uh well let's get into some of the just some of the basics like i don't want to go beat for beat through the entire show um because uh people out there who haven't seen it yet i don't want to i don't want to do what we do over in necromaniacs which is spoil the show for people (laughs) so you know a lot of times we give the ending and 
people are like, man, I wanted to see that, but you guys fucked it up for me. So let's let's uh, kind of, in general terms, yeah. go through this thing. Now, before I get into that, I have to say that uh, we start off with Dan Turner, who is a video archivist for um, a museum located out in Queens, which is actually a real place that uh, Museum of uh, the Moving Picture. And um, oh, cool! Yeah, that's okay. actually out there in Queens, New York. And uh, one day, I remember I was uh, walking down the sidewalk, and I just happened to walk right by it. And I was like, "Damn, this is a real place!" Like, uh, you know, or it's located here. Obviously, I didn't know about this movie, the show having it in it, but it was like I'd read about it, and I'm like, "Oh, I should I should go there and check things out." And I just randomly walked by it one day, and I'm like, "Oh, here it is." So right away, at least for me. I'm kind of drawn into that. I, I, I'm really big on shows that have to do with a guy by himself in a room going through old tapes or, you know, old archival information and discovering something unusual about them. And that's kind of the basic uh, premise of this, this story is that we see yeah. that uh, Dan is very skilled at restoring old, destroyed, worn out video. That's what he does for this uh, museum. And um, he gets contacted by uh, Davenport to do this job. And, and they don't tell you how much money, but it's like some, you know, offer you can't refuse style money to restore these, uh, this archive of video footage that, um, that yes. his company has, uh, has control over. And that's yeah. how the story opens. Right. And that's also what got me instantaneously because, I mean, I mentioned on this podcast a hundred times, but that I like found footage horror and stuff like Blair Witch or As Above, So Below. I really like this because we all like, like you and I, and like most of the listeners, maybe we grew up with times that we had videotapes and we played them and they were fucked up and we saw like the picture crumbling and had these weird feelings about the sound being spooky or the the sound of you like walking around with your Walkman and the battery dying and all of a sudden like the music is slowing down and everything starts getting creepy and this always gets me and this was my like my first box ticked there and then then if then you find out that um it's uh he's his job is to restore tapes that were burned in the building fire and it's about a spooky building called the visor and so you have like a weird setting of a house where these tapes play and this is already up my alley and then this guy like dan goes to a remote installment where he has to restore these tapes and also this is a creepy place with with like a church in the yard and stuff like this this is all like way up my alley. It's like, okay, this is already so fucking cool within the first half hour. So I was instantly drawn to that. And it's total isolation. Like there's no, there's no uh, Wi-Fi connection. And also he has very poor cell phone reception. So he's totally isolated out there. And um, th what, what a weird setting to do a job like this, I find. You know, it's like yeah. I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, in – I, I, right then and there, I would flag this as trouble. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, through this through this show, I actually started 
like at some point I've, i watched the first episode i'm like okay there's so much stuff that reminds me of something else i'll just keep like keep tabs like on on what i remember when he went to that building and you know like okay so here this is your job you're going to stay here and restore this it's a gigantic building you're here all by yourself the fridges are filled up but there's no one here you're in the middle of fucking nowhere no reception just a landline and i was like okay this is the shining yeah it's like totally shining vibes and i'm like okay cool so let's see and throughout the whole show, I have the feeling that these two, like the guys, I mean, the, the podcast guys, they were executive producers together with Rebecca Sunshine. I think they, 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 they're probably huge nerds when it comes to horror and like all things weird because there's so many nods to, to like, like I said, um, so the building, you have these spooky buildings, you have like a Blair Witch vibe, it's in the forest, and you have found footage, and um, there's more stuff in there. They mention, like, they talk about Phantasmagoria, which is also like an old-school 90s video game about survival horror, where you're in an abandoned mansion, and you have, you find, like, old video stuff. I think that's cool. It's, it's, a, it's a nerd show for nerds, in my opinion. <laughs> And then we have um, Dan's Lifeline, which is like this, his buddy Matt, who actually produces a, a, a podcast. And we'd see a little bit of that in the first uh, episode of him doing his live action recording of a podcast where, you know, he, there's a narrative and there's these sound effects and, you know, all this other stuff. So he is sort of once um, Dan is deployed out in his remote location, Matt is the guy that he talks to mostly you know outside of uh virgil davenport who has to send these reports to you know yeah. these archival footage and all that yeah so what uh what starts to pique dan's interest is uh we find out that the these archival tapes are basically the project of melody who I, what, what was she like a journalism uh, major or something like that or a film major yes, or something right. in college yeah, or, yeah. or working on her master's degree or something like that and yeah. uh, she's interested in uh, the fire in or actually there's no this is before the fire she's interested in the visser building and interviewing yes the people who live there and just you know you know creating a, a documentary basically so this is all footage yeah. that she shot during her um residency at the Visser and a series of interviews with all of its residents. Yeah. And this is like the, the there's in the whole show there's just like two small things that I would criticize and that's like minor things. But if nowadays some like film major like takes his or her mobile phone with the quality they have, they run around and film the whole time, no one will notice. But she's shoving the sh shitty old VHS camera down the throat of everybody around her. She has it all the time. Wherever she goes, I'm like, this would be so annoying, like carrying around this fucking huge camera all the time. But yeah, I mean, it makes up the, the basic for the story, the basis. Now, I just want to make a couple of comments here is that, you, you know what? I, I see a trend in popular culture of um, a sort of romanticism of the old analog world of the 90s. Yeah. You know, and I, I like that because that, you know, that was a good time for me. You know, I, 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 um, you know, I had fun in the 90s I, watching VHS tapes and, 
you know, yeah, doing stuff sure. before social media existed. That was a, a pretty good time, you know. Yeah. However, totally. I feel like th- at this point of the show, we we have footage, okay, that that Dan is viewing, and then we have an expansion of that situ- situation that is taking place as like uh, a parallel time offset in real time in the 90s and we see the behind the scenes of what's going on on the footage that footage to me doesn't seem very 90s you know what i mean like it, it could be modern times except for maybe the inclusion of the occasional payphone or something like that it, it really yeah. doesn't have the atmosphere of the 90s like the hairstyles and just everything doesn't look it looks like it could be taking place like right now i think you know yeah but I think the overall idea of how they portrayed it. So at first I thought like, okay, we will find out the whole story of Melody just through these VHS tapes. So like in a found footage way, but they like start out with these camera angles and then you're pretty much in the story and then you see it develop like in a, in a first person kind of uh, view or um, like with a camera, like just regularly film, like a regular show. And I think that was a smart move to do because I think all the scenes in VHS quality wouldn't have worked the way it did. No, definitely, for sure. Yeah, and it's minor. The, the criticism I have of that is, is pretty minor. I yeah. mean, it's not, it's not a, a, a huge step to take, really, you know. Yes, same here. Yeah. We also meet uh, her roommate, Annabelle, and... Um, you know, she's kind of like this, uh, you know, wild 20-something-year-old living her life. You know, a little bit more of a partier, seems like, than, uh, than Melody. Melody seems to be more introspective and kind of, um, you know, serious about her work and stuff like that. And Annabelle just wants to have a good time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she appears. She's, um, in some ways, Annabelle is like the reflection of Mark, you know, where... Melody's deployed at the Visser, and Annabelle is kind of like her lifeline to the outside world once she becomes ensconced in her interview process and she starts making connections with um, with the other other residents. It becomes this kind of insular thing that she's involved with. And then with Dan, you know, Dan is literally isolated, and Mark is yeah. on the outside. But then in both cases, Annabelle gets drawn into Melody's world and Mark also gets drawn into Dan's world by being their their life their lifelines you know what i mean right yeah and uh well Annabelle's appearance in the show is uh it's 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 a funny incident because she's actually cock blocking her like if there's if there's a female like pronoun to this so she was about to like hook up with a guy from the building called Samuel who plays a really important role in this show? Yeah, Samuel uh, is um, this kind of mysterious guy. You know, he has the penthouse apartment in in this building, and um, it turns out that he is not exactly who he seems. You know, and um, actually, just a real quick, in this non-binary world, I believe that you could say cock blocking for women on women uh interference like that yeah okay <laughs> I, I don't know i don't give you know for me i don't really care yeah. you know i did, just didn't want to use the c word for that you know oh yeah i, I don't yeah i don't think that's a thing really yeah um, um yeah but uh, i mean this guy samuel 
first of all, I I wanted to look it up, but like he he has been like in other shows, and I just can't like wrap my head around why I've seen him before. But like you see, like from the first moment he appears, you know, like this guy is trouble in a way, and like he's he's one of the person, like one of the people that will have a bigger part in this show, and it ends up being like he's one of the most important factors in this show. Yeah. Yeah, he had. It was very well cast. He has a very untrustworthy look. Like he looks like someone who's hiding something. Is what I have to say about him. Yeah. 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 Uh, another one of the main characters is um, uh, the young uh, Jess. You know, a young young lady. You're actually very. I would say a a teen or a preteen, maybe. She's like what, like twelve or thirteen in this uh, story. Yeah. And um, yeah, she's uh the curious, uh, intelligent, creative. You know, little girl running around the building. She does things for people. And uh, she is under the tutelage of Samuel, we find out. You know, and Samuel, like I mentioned, is is not who he seems. You know, he is involved in a darker aspect that gets revealed as the story goes on. Yeah. Now it now it gets difficult to to like draw the line where we go into spoilers or not because it's so intertwined everything because another person that we see is Steve and uh yeah Steve is uh Melody's psychiatrist. Yeah, and it turns out that uh that that's uh I always thought that was his name's Steve Turner, which was the um guitar player in <laughs> Mud Mudhoney, you know. <laughs> but that's that's Dan's father. Okay, so there's yes. we can, we can I think we can reveal some of these connections. So it turns out, yeah. and this is where the conflict starts for Dan. He starts to realize that he he gets to suspect that Davenport placed found him, knows what's going on, knows that uh, well it turns out that um, Dan's family was killed in a fire. The viscer was it was incinerated in a, in a fire. And that Dan lost his whole family in his fire at his his house, and that uh, Steve Turner is Melody's psychiatrist. You know, she's under his therapeutic, uh, you know, care. So that's when the paranoia starts in with Dan. He starts questioning things, and he has, um, but he can't pull himself away from the from Melody's storyline, and he wants to find out what happened to her why the building you know how how all this stuff connects and yes you know so that that's like the the real that's the conflict of the story yeah now there's a couple of things that i, th- I think we could discuss now why why the hell are you you know like why why are you calling this a weird fiction story so we can uh <laughs> get into yeah. that that's um it turns out that the viscer is was built over the ruins of another building so there's a connection with the past and that building was um was a controlled by uh the Voss society which was a secret organization founded by iris Voss, who she's kind of like this uh madame lavatsky uh style occultist and they were involved in this cult that um worshipped a deity called Caligo, okay. I tried to find out whether or not Caligo had any any connection to some kind of mythologies that are existing, and apparently it does not. Okay, mm-hmm. there was a ancient order of witches 
called the Baldung witches. And they were able to connect to Caligo in his alternate, you know, whatever universe he lives in. And they were like, they were, they, they were able to create a doorway. But yep. they saw that this would bring possibly the apocalypse, you know, or the end of the world or some evil overtaking of our reality. And they disbanded. Now, I looked up Baldung and that. Yeah, I, I don't know much about art necessarily, so you guys might be like, well, obviously it's Hans Baldung. <laughs> so mm. so Baldung connects to an um, an artist, a guy who created woodcuts, uh, similar, similar to Alphonse Mucha, uh, named Hans Baldung. And he created uh, a series of woodcuts called The Witches. So there you go. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and also the the, the comet, like uh, it's it's being said that um, every seventy years there's a comet passing by Earth, and uh, the Car so-called Charon or Coron, yeah. and uh, I think that's named after the the ferryman in, on the River Styx or something. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, Charon is um, the guy who transports uh, the dead into the underworld. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so like I think that's like a lot of cool, like small details and well well picked references in there. Um, didn't you think that Iris and Annabelle kind of looked the same? Um, sure, yeah. You know, I didn't think about that, but now that you mention it, they they do look similar, and that that might be a connection that gets exposed later on in future seasons. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the Dan is the one main protagonist, and Melody is definitely, definitely the the other one. At first, I always like I thought she was called Melody, not Melody. Oh, Melody, like, like okay, sickness or something. Like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, okay, that's a that's a cruel name. Because it would have made made sense because you find out a bit about her backstory. So she she was left by her mother in a church and grew up in an orphanage and. Uh, so um, this whole aspect is what drives her to um, because uh, because Steve suggests to her to deal with your past. You should find out about the past of other things and like kind of lures her into this building in a way and uh, finds out this footage. And yeah, there's like it's a lot of interconnectivity here and people getting motivated by others and i think yeah that's pretty smartly done but yeah she's she's the main protagonist and her not having a mother is what's driving her and that also plays an important role in the continuation of the story and e even that is almost like a weird fiction-esque kind of thing where yes. where um where steve reveals there's something that's that she's not that's like that's hidden that she has to find by going somewhere and that that yeah. oftentimes is a huge plot uh you know advancer in uh in these types of stories so she has a mission yeah. to find the truth about something she goes into this building that is built over the ruins of another building which a cult inhabited this pagan cult yeah. And there's also the other pagan cult of witches, which hold the key to another dimension, right? Yeah. And then we have the entity from that other dimension, which is not. We know um, we can we can assume this entity is not 
is is evil, I guess, and for lack of a better term, you know what I mean. That it's yeah. it's something that um, wields great power, but also yeah. possesses the ability to bring ruin to our reality, right? Yeah. So, the Voss Society was uh, was involved in trying to harness that power, you know. And there's uh, that that's. You know, so there's a conflict. We got the Voss Society, the Baldung Witches, these two pagan organizations. Yeah. Uh, there's human sacrifice. There's um, rituals, blood rituals. There's bizarre languages, like otherworldly languages being spoken. Um, and then there's the other thing, which I found, which I had to smile when I when this happened. There's this weird mold growing over the entire building that is <laughs> connected somehow to this Caligo entity. And I was like, man, this is like great. You know, there's like people uh, get addicted to it. And um, oh, and then there's the mysterious sixth floor, which is these people who are addicted to the mold. Uh, and the one, the one addict was describing it. And it's like, you know, everything shines. And I'm like, man, this is like deep, deep. Lovecraftian stuff here, which made me yes. really, really excited. Yeah, yeah. They they call it Stardust because yep. you like travel through the dimensions, and then when you see the statue of Caligo the first time, instantaneously you're like, okay, this is cosmic horror. And um, I mean, when you know like the great old ones, like because most people when they start like reading Lovecraft, they're like, oh yeah, it's about underwater creatures and underwater <laughs> demons. And it's just like, yeah, well, not really. Um, and yeah, you have this this comet flying by, and there's this energy like breaking through dimensions, and it's it could bring great power or destruction. And yeah, then the mold and everything. I was also like, yeah, check, check, check. This is like this is so Lovecraftian. Uh. And they they don't really wrap everything up either, you know, and like they don't they don't explain yeah. everything, which is another thing that they don't do. And they they also do the same thing in weird fiction, where they don't really tell you exactly what it is. So your your mind has to construct all these things to to, and then eventually, I'm assuming on this show because this is as much as we love this stuff, this is made for regular people. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, you know, this is made for civilians compared to the the weird fiction veterans out there you know what i mean and um yeah eventually they probably will like give us more insights of these things which you know i'm not opposed to that you know it's a different type of yeah. medium so yes but it has the, the the traits that we discussed in the pilot episode it has like this overarching theme of dread and lurking fear in a way you can't really grab it. There's not really like not one scene that it's really like, oh, there's a monster running around. We have like teases in the videotapes, like you can see the face of Caligo. There's one scene, and that's the other like small criticism I have, where like in the office, when like all when he like uh, like uh, when Dan destroys all the monitors. Yeah, and you see like this energy almost like crawling through the TV, kind of like the ring. That's I I wasn't so like so keen on that, but that's the thing I mentioned in our pilot episode too. That weird fiction lives off the fictional aspect in our head. Like we construct the pictures and we make it creepy by with our fantasy. And um, for example, if you like 
look at the shadow over Innsmouth or you take the mountains of madness, these creatures that Lovecraft describes, especially like in the mountains of madness, like when you read it, it's cool. If you see drawings of it, it's not that cool. And if I imagine I see like gigantic plant creatures, like, you know, like looking like a pineapple tree in a way, I wouldn't say this is going to be really scary unless you do it properly. And this is what I'm afraid for the most because like these eight episodes as they are now, they're pretty much perfect except for this minor detail. If they continue, I hope they don't have like a computer animated creature running around. I would be happy if we never actually see Caligo. You know, I mean, he yes. just exists yeah. in these like hazy images that they, we see like, you know, out in the ether yeah. somewhere. And, um, I mean, I agree with that. Like, uh, the premise of the show is amazing. I would say 99% of it I really, really like. But there are there are those little aspects of it that have a commercial feel. But I understand why that is. Or, I mean, you know, it's... Uh, yeah. You know, the stuff that we read, like Lovecraft, when he was writing his stories, like, you know, he was, like, obscure and, you know, not really... Yeah, he was just way obscure. So... He wasn't looking to like you know be a best-selling author necessarily you know at that time, or he wasn't chasing that rainbow in a lot of ways. Um, he was just doing what he did. He was being, you know being published in Weird Tales and various other magazines. But you know they want the show to succeed. They want to make sure that uh, the regular horror fans have something to grab onto. It can't just be this. Yeah, hundred percent atmospheric thing that only a smaller percentage of people would enjoy. You know, but. But yeah, I mean, but by and large, I for me, I would give this a five if I were to rate it. You know, if, of course, yeah, it's it's like as as I uh, I posted something on it on, on Instagram and I said like it's a nine nine point eight out of ten for me. But yeah, like if we go by the macro ratings, it's definitely a five. It's two or three minor details, but just given that this is produced for mass audience on TV. And you must always, like, I always think there must be, like, producers at Netflix that, like, give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And with when you look at the regular horror things that they produce or have, sorry, in, in their roster, like, in their, um, in their register, this is completely off the books. It's completely different. And, uh... It, and I think the showrunners, they, they must have thought, I imagine that they said like, oh, could you like maybe include the creature or whatnot? And these be like in, in Sunshine and like these other guys were like, no, this is the way we want to do it. And it is truly something special in the world of like horror TV that we have now. Kind of like Midnight Mass and Chapelweight were last year. Yeah, this is definitely in that league. And and Chapel Wade and Midnight Mass are like two of my favorite things to come out, uh, in, including films, actually, in, in 2021, for sure. Yeah, because they didn't bow to the recipe of, of the movies or like the shows that were happening and were popular. Um, I mean, we talked about it, the Castle Rock, like the two seasons of Castle Rock. I enjoyed them. But they were way more up in the alley of like the right, like the horror things that are popular right now. Maybe like approaching the audience of the It remake because it also had like scars get in that show. Right. Um, the the, the stand show sucked. That was terrible. And like most of the of the like Netflix or streaming device horror isn't that good. I mean, I'm not 
like talking about Shutter because like they have like they're focused on horror, but like what Netflix releases as its horror shows, it sometimes goes the wrong way. I mean, we had like Hunting of Hill House and all this stuff. There was some good stuff on there, but I think Archive eighty one, as much as the like aforementioned uh, Midnight Mass and Chapel Wait, they're completely doing their own thing. And they're they have they're full of integrity for what they are. Also, I want to mention that uh, episode three, uh, Terror in the Isles, and episode four, The Spirit Receivers, were directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Morehouse. And uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar with them, they're big uh, cosmic horror Lovecraft guys. They they're they're independently produced films, Endless uh, Resolution, and Spring. Uh, operate within like um, a world, a cosmic horror world, and then they also did a bigger, a bigger studio film called Synchronic, which is more of a science fiction, and um, that's excellent. And they're doing the Moon Knight series oh. for, for Marvel. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yep. I've been big Dude. fans of these guys, and uh, it just to me, the you know the showrunners by having them direct two of these episodes in this show were made it clear to me that they were on board with like the real deal, um, you know, stuff yes. that we're talking about. Hey, and dude, did you see the trailer for moon Knight? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It looks yeah, cool. And, yeah. The madness aspect of like a lot of these horror, like these Lovecraftian things have, or here that Dan, the first thing, like the first things that Devonport says to Dan when they're in the house is like, we here's this the the here's the number that you call if you have like mental health issues or if you feel like this insanity and this is like what i meant with a with a reference to the shining and for the moonlight with a character it is um it has has the same vibe too that like you know the crazy aspect and i mean ever since um the uh damn man i was like last year I referenced this movie called The Card Counter. Yes. Uh, with with Oscar Isaac, I I'm a real big fan of Oscar Isaac and him being Moon Knight. I can't wait for this show. Interesting choice to make him a British guy in Moon Knight because um the com- yeah. the comic yeah. book character is like a very New York centric sort of guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Also, the idea of madness. You know, like that—that big—that's a very big um, theme in uh, in Archive eighty one, and that's yeah. a huge theme in most of Lovecraft's uh, you know fiction. Where oftentimes at the end of the short story, the the guy telling the story is driven insane. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. like yeah. like a big aspect of weird fiction and cosmic horror, and like the things that he's seen have driven destroyed his mind, and you know, it's yeah, like that's, very that's much something- the same. You know, the same thing. I, I, I could have like I could have like spanked uh, like smacked myself last week or like the like I don't know like was it two weeks ago that, no it was last week that we recorded the uh, the pilot when we spoke about like the difference between classic horror and, and like weird fiction or uh, stuff is uh there's no monster in the end devouring someone or some guy killing someone else it's mostly people ending their own lives because they were driven mad. You know, yeah. this is like, this is probably like, and this is the same here. Archive 81, there's the omnipresent fear and dread 
but it doesn't like I, I I was never afraid that the monster will come out and like kill people. But it's just like this people going not uh, like going insane and like ending their own lives probably. There is also a very subtle, very very subtle uh, Twin Peaks kind of thing. I felt like with maybe the way the show ended, the season ended. Um, mm -hmm. And also the way that some of the characters that live in the building are introduced, uh, yeah. you know, some of the characters, like it, it, when you watch Twin Peaks, the characters are very eccentric. You know what I mean? There's a lot of these like weird, weirdo type characters that show up in, in a mundane setting. And, um, and, and I think that there's some characters that show up in, in, uh, in Archive 81 that have that, you know, eccentric sort of vibe. And I just like appreciate that stuff. I like when when there's color. Yeah. You know, it's not just generic. You know, I have I've I've written something down that I wanted to bring here now, and you have to listen carefully, Mike, because you can decipher it. Okay. And I will know you will you will love this detail. Um, there's this like in in Archive eighty one. There's this uh, this movie. It starts pretty much with a, a trailer for an old black and white horror movie called The Circle. Oh, is yes. a is a kind of like movie circle about like a ritual killings, which is inspired by a um, by a kind of like ominous snuff film, which we find out what it's about. But you know, it starts out with the circle. The showrunner Rebecca Sunshine in an interview says, to quote, because the sh they were asked like, is this show a, a show about time travel? She says it's about realities, it's about universes and crossing boundaries, it's about time and time travel because time sometimes is a flat circle. <laughs> nice, yeah. Okay, <laughs> she said that that was actually verbatim what she yeah. said. Yeah, she said time is a flat circle. I'm like, okay, nice, <laughs> right on, man. So she's definitely, uh, at the very least, she's seen True Detective. And I would yes. assume that she's probably read a bunch of, uh, you know, Thomas Ligotti's work, specifically his yeah. uh, conspiracy against, uh, you know, mankind. Yeah, and then this like, and then the, the scene like this, this movie in the movie is called the Circle, and you, you could like interpret it as like, of course, there's the circle of people, but it's like, eh, another cool nod. I, I like this. That's I'm so I'm. I, it's funny that we're mentioning this now at this at at minute 61 or whatever this podcast because that the opening with him with this un unaired series is so fucking compelling man with this black and white footage yeah. and it just looks you know it just it just looks cool man like the whole vibe of that it, it looks like carnival of souls or something but darker and like in this like realm of it being a snuff film or being inspired by a snuff film that this guy saw it's like I don't know. The whole thing's compelling, man. Yeah, and all like every episode opens up with a trailer or a commercial spot for something that has a role in the actual episode, which reminded me of WandaVision in a way. You know, yeah. like this, uh, the fourth dimension or like the fourth wall in a way. And yeah, that's that's. I mean, guys out there listening right now. I mean, you can assume that Mike and I are fans of this show, and it's a complete nerd nerd boner show. And there's so much to to uh, unpack here. And it's like, I, like I said, I blasted through the show two times, and I will watch it the third time when the second season comes out because I think 
to me, it's as compelling as Dark was, that, that German show that was rated the best Netflix show ever with uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that I give a damn about Rotten Tomatoes, but it's like voted by so many people and has 90% of the vote. And after that, in second place, is, uh, is Stranger Things with just 5%. So this crazy German show, Dark, is so popular worldwide. And it is also about time traveling. It's also well done. There's also a lot to digest. And I love it that the quality when it comes to shows is that high right now. Yeah, Dark stands out as, as like a high point, I think, you know. And, and um, also, uh, Creator is featured in the first season. There's an episode where the, one of the yeah, characters yeah. is listening to Creator, which I thought was cool. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's our. Uh, you know our, our assessment of this show and actually i might mention this is i if you haven't seen it definitely go out and check it out you know i'm assuming that if you're listening to this episode you're in you're on board with this stuff and maybe for you guys out on our patreon um we can do some kind of uh you know group chat or group meetup and discuss this at some point so everyone on patreon let me know uh maybe we can start our own little sub you know sub discussion of this thing amongst all the fans of this show so yeah let, let me know what you guys think and um yeah you know it's awesome yeah are, are you asking people to start the hill coven now <laughs> no man uh <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple a couple other things other other things that come to mind after seeing this that if if you're into like this whole thing of like a guy like you know conversations and like this weird almost voyeuristic sort of storyline which that is kind of like what drew me into this is there there is like a, a group of films where the protagonist is like somewhat of a voyeur and he's ob observing yes. something and you know, there, there was another movie another film that rennie uh recommended that uh was not as good as this but it's still pretty good called broadcast signal intrusion and it's you know, very much along these lines of a guy, you know, archiving tapes or he finds something. There's like some interference that he's looking into and uh, has to do with uh, madness and all this other stuff. And then an old Gene Hackman film that has nothing to do with the supernatural called The Conversation, which is like a uh, surveillance type of movie. And that one really, really is cool. It's slow moving and dry, but. I, I always find myself watching that film, and it's adjacent to this sort of thing. I find I would I would imagine. Yeah, you know what is too? What's that? The the man of the crowd. Ah, yes, exactly. This ties into our pilot, our first episode, actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, everybody out there. Um, yeah, like Mike said, if you haven't seen it, definitely do check out Archive Eighty One. If you're still here after an hour with us, uh, you probably have seen it and you probably liked it too. And uh, yeah, if you like this kind of stuff, this kind of discussions, but like when it just like pretty much just literature, we will have on the Patreon every now and then. And uh, it's just a dollar a month and it helps, uh, helps support us. It helps support Mike doing all the work and uh, some money will be donated. So if you haven't joined up on Patreon, we'd greatly appreciate you coming over and giving us kudos there. Absolutely. Uh, so I'd like to thank everyone. And um, yeah, 
have a enjoy enjoy the weirdness of life. <laughs>